Okay, Matthew 7, let's stand please and uh, sitting for a while there. Verse 24, the Bible said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not should be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as I bow before you, Lord, I thank you for this another privilege that we have to approach the throne of grace. Lord, I thank you for the Word of God and for this opportunity to read and preach. And Lord, how we need you tonight. And I pray for wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to say exactly what ought to be said tonight. Refrain from saying anything that would bring dishonor to you. Bless our time together. Save any lost and revive the hearts of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Okay, I, I want to bring a message on this thought, faith or foolishness. Uh, here we have uh, the uh, story of the two builders and the two houses, and we'll talk about that just in a moment. Uh, let me uh, give a definition of, uh, of what the Bible says a fool is, self-confident, empty person, thick-headed, thoughtless, unwise, heedless, and senseless. Well, that's not very flattering, is it? Uh, and uh, in uh, Psalm 14 and verse 1, and Psalm 53 and verse 1, said, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. So a foolish person is a person that acts as if there were no God. Uh, they may talk or think as if there were no God because he says in his heart, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Doesn't necessarily have to say it with your mouth, but in the heart. <clears throat> now the contrast, faith means steadiness, stability, and steadfastness. And so faith is certainly more reliable. Now, first of all, it is foolish to build on the wrong foundation. And we have that in the scripture I read to you. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And then verse 26, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. So here we have the contrast. The foolish man hears the same thing that the wise man hears. But the difference is the foolish man does nothing about it. And the wise man hears and reacts. Now they build these houses. As far as I can tell, they build the same type of house, same type of construction. But the difference is the foundation. Uh, my, I have two uncles, and uh, one is dead now, and the other is still living, but they were builders. They, they built houses as long as I can remember. Uh, and in those days, years ago, when you hired a man to build a house, he did everything. They could, they could do the carpenter work. They could do the brick work. Uh, they could do the sheetrock. Uh, they could do the wiring. They could do the plumbing. They did it all. 
And now, of course, uh, you don't have that. You have plumbers and electricians and masons and so forth. Uh, but if you would talk, to, if they were still, one was still living, but if you would talk to them and ask them what is the most important part of the house, they would tell you the foundation. Because uh, uh, everything either falls or stands on the foundation. Now he said, he's like a man that builds his house on a rock. Now we still build our houses on rocks. Say, my house isn't built on a rock. I'd say it probably is. Now they may not have been rocks there, but you had to dig a trench around there, you had to dig a footing, and you called the cement company and they brought a truck with cement and, and gravel, and it sets up and it's a rock. And you build your house on the rock. And everything depends on that foundation. The foundation is the most important part of the house. I can't say that enough. How important the foundation is. Uh, I remember years ago uh, when I was pastor in Maiden, a fellow in the church there was looking at this house, considering where to, whether to buy this house. While he was considering buying the house, the lower side of that house, the whole brick wall fell to the ground. Well, needless to say, he changed his mind. Now, what had happened? They didn't put a wall tie in that whole wall. They just laid it up there, and, uh, and uh, of course, uh, there was some movement, some giving, and it just came crashing down. Uh, so, uh, the foundation is important. Now, that's true in building. It is also true in spiritual matters. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And verse 12 said, Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of people trying to build houses on the wrong foundation. They're building nice, beautiful houses, but they're building on the wrong foundation. Yeah. You realize there's people going to sit in church every Sunday that's going to miss heaven? There's people singing the choir. There's people that teach Sunday school classes. There's preachers that stand behind the pulpit, and they're building a good house, yeah. but it's on the wrong foundation. And if the foundation's wrong, the house is no good. And really, you don't know the strength of the house till the storm comes, do you? Till it's tested. They said about the Titanic that that ship could not sink. Vance Heavener said the only thing it ever did do was sink. That's right. <laughs> but I'm told, I don't know whether that's true or not, but they said that they took a torch and up over the boiler room, they etched these words, not even God can sink this ship. But that ship never made it across the Atlantic one time. You see, that ship had never encountered an iceberg. That ship had not been tested. And until the house is tested, you don't know where, the, where it's going to stand or not. Now, the foundation is Jesus Christ. I have a cousin, and uh, I've told you about him before. But uh, he went to church uh, every Sunday, took his family to church, paid his tithes, and when I first started preaching, I noticed he'd get a conviction. 
And I asked people, I said, is he saved? They said, you are sure. Yeah, he's saved. Comes to church every Sunday, pays his tithes. He's got to be saved. I said, well, he seems to get bothered when I preach. So I just talked to him. I asked him. I asked him if he was saved. He said, no, I'm not. I asked his wife. I said, are you saved? She said, yes, I'm saved. It wasn't but two or three weeks later, they both got saved. And I, they were the first that I, I baptized. And I told him, I said, it's, I said, what you're doing is commendable. It's good that you're taking your family to church. It's good you're supporting the church. All those things are good, but they're not going to do you any good if you go to hell. You see, he was building a good house, but on the wrong foundation. And so that's where it all starts. It starts with Jesus, doesn't it? And if you don't start there, then the, found, the rest of the building is no good. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1, I want you to turn there, please. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse, uh, verse number 18. Notice what he says. For the preaching, this page 12, 12. You have a Schofield Bible, 1 Corinthians 1, 12, 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? But after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, he didn't say foolish preaching, but he said the foolishness of preaching. And to the world, preaching is foolishness. But it's God's way of getting the gospel out. It's the way God has chosen. And the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? That's God's method. That's God's way. And uh, that's what the rich man wanted Abraham to send Lazarus to warn his five brothers not to come to hell. And he said, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he said, uh, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. He said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And so God's method is, is in, in uh, faith. We know uh, salvation comes by grace through faith. And the method, the method of getting that message out is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is foolish to build on the wrong foundation. Number two, and turn on over to Galatians chapter three. The book of Galatians in chapter number three, it is foolish to base salvation on grace and security on works. I'm not saved by grace and kept by works. I'm glad I'm not saved on the installment plan. I don't like to make payments, do you? Sometimes people go see that big, nice, shiny new car and they look at their old rattle trap or 
or maybe theirs is old, dirty, and nasty, and they go get them a shiny new car. And boy, they, you know, it's an exciting, it's an exciting thing for about a week. Then you get that catalog. Send one each month. I guess they still do that. And, and the, the, it kind of loses the excitement, don't it? But I, my salvation, I'm glad when God saved me, I didn't get a, 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 a coupon or a book for with payment coupons. Right. And the Lord says, you have to keep up the payments on this. He saved me, thank God, and saved me forever. The same grace that saves you, keeps you. Now, Galatians Paul deals with this in Galatians 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, that ye shall not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you, receive you the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Now this was a controversial issue in the early church, and it still is in some circles. Uh, you know, Paul dealt with that, went up to Jerusalem, and the Jews were saying, it is not enough for you Gentiles just to receive Christ. You also have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses or you're not saved. You know, that doctrine hadn't died. Still around. Say, well, I believe, I believe God saves you by grace, but I'll tell you one thing. If you don't live it, you've lost it. Well, that was the issue that Paul had to deal with. Salvation is by grace, and we brought that message recently in Romans 11, verse 6, and it by grace that it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. If it be of works, then it's no more grace, otherwise work is no more works. That verse simply says you cannot mix the grace of God and works. It's either grace or works, not a mixture of the two. Right. We are not saved by grace and kept by works. Our security is not based on works. My security is based on the grace of God. My hope of heaven rests in Jesus Christ. It does not depend on me. So it is foolish. That's what the Bible said, doesn't it? Oh, foolish Galatians. He says, you're foolish. Are you so foolish, verse 3, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He said, if God starred you in the Spirit, if God starred you in grace, are you now made perfect by the flesh? He said, that's a foolish thing, didn't he? Now let me give you what may sound like a contradiction to that. It is foolish to believe in faith without works. You say, preacher, you're, just, you're, you're, you're double talking, you know. Uh, well, the Indians used to say you speak with a forked tongue. Uh, speak out of both sides of your mouth at the same time. Someone said a person's level-headed if the tobacco juice runs out of both sides of your mouth. I don't, I don't know about that. But uh, it is foolish to believe in, it is foolish to base salvation on grace and security on works, but it is also foolish to believe in faith without works. Now turn to Ephesians 2. And hear me out before you criticize me, okay? Ephesians 2 and verse number 8. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It does say that. It's not works. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're not saved by works. We're saved unto good works. And there is a difference. Works have nothing to do with my salvation. Works have nothing to do with getting me to heaven. Works does have something to do with getting me a reward as I talked about last Sunday night. And so I'm not saved by works. I'm saved unto good works. The new birth makes a new life possible. When you get saved, you're going to live different. I believe that. And a person says, I'm saved. God saved me, and I'm still going back to the same old beer joints and the same old dance halls and cussing like a sailor. And, and, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm saved. I don't believe it. I believe when God saves a man, he's saved unto good works. Not saved by good works, but unto Good works. Now let's read about it also in the book of James. Chapter 2. Turn to James 2. And James will deal with this issue. And of course it seems like a contradiction from what Romans has to say. The book of Romans, uh, uh, Romans 3. Find, find it here, verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Now keep that in mind. Listen to James. James 2.14. Why doth it profit my brethren though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I will show thee my faith by my works. And you can't show that. But neither, he says, If you will show me faith without works, I'll show you faith by works. And Ephesians says it's not by works. So he's saying it's impossible. There's no such a thing as faith without works. Verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devil's also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? He uses a couple examples. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now Abraham was already saved. People say Abraham got saved when he offered Isaac. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible said Abraham believed God and he was counted him for righteousness. And if I, if I remember, that's in chapter 15 of Genesis and this in chapter 22, what it's talking about here. Verse 22, seest, and that's an important word, seest thou how faith walked with his works and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Again, that happened in chapter 15. 
You see, there's that word again, you see then, how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. And then he used his example of Rahab, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers that had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith in that works is dead also. Now the question, are we justified by works or justified by faith? Romans says we're justified by faith without the deeds of the law. No works involved. James says we're not only justified by faith, but also by works. Who's right? Well, they're both right. And Romans is talking about our standing before God. Before God, I'm justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Before man, I'm not only justified by faith, but by works. You see, you see. What can you see? You can't see my faith. You can only see the works my faith produces. And if I have real faith, it'll produce good works. If your faith don't produce good works, you've got the wrong kind of faith. And we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and two good works. I'm not saved by works, I'm saved to work. And faith, the new birth, makes a new life possible in Jesus Christ. And so there's really no contradiction. So we're not saved by works, but we're saved unto good works. And it's foolish to believe in faith that doesn't produce that. Ephesians 5, 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Years ago, I was talking to a preacher uh, who believed in, in uh, works as a part of salvation. And, of course, if you believe that, then you believe you can lose your salvation. And uh, uh, he said, and we were discussing it, and, and we disagreed, but, uh, you know, I didn't hate him. He didn't hate me. I don't think I have to hate people just because you disagree with them. And so we were discussing and talking about it as gentlemen. And, and uh, uh, he said, well, if you preach, what, if you preach that, I was telling him how I believe you. He said, if you preach that, people will live anyway. I said, if they won't, if they're saved. And if they're not saved, they ain't going to live right. I don't care what you preach. And I believe that. And I found out if people didn't save, you can preach and holler and scream and do everything you want to do, but they still, they'll never live right because they're not saved. So it is foolish to believe in faith that works. You know, if you get people saved, you get them born again, their life will change. They'll be different. That's the only ones ever, uh, that, that will live right because it is Christ that lives in us. Now, let me move on. I have a couple more points. The Bible in Luke 12, if you'd like to turn there, please, Luke chapter 12. Book of Luke chapter 12. It is foolish to believe in money instead of the Lord. Now in Luke 12, verse 15, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Well, that's contrary to the way the world looks at things, isn't it? And he illustrates it. He spake a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? 
because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And notice what he says. But God said unto him, thy fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now here's an example of this man who prospered greatly and he only thought of himself. He didn't think of anyone else but himself. And he said, I'm going to pull down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to retire and take it easy. Have you ever noticed about the time people get ready to retire, it's time to die. It's about time to go. I, I tell, I tell uh, uh, people that's retired, find something to do. Don't quit. You want to die? Quit. Sit around and do nothing. You'll be gone for long. God made us to be active. He made these bodies to do something. But God calls this man a fool. Thy fool. You know something? He never harvested one crop. He never built one barn. He never brought any of it in. He never enjoyed retirement one day. He went out into eternity. It's foolish to believe in money instead of the Lord. Now in Mark 10, 24, the familiar story of the rich man and the Bible said, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches enter into the kingdom of God. And that, uh, you know, when I was in Sunday school growing up, that where he says, uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And uh, the teacher explained that, said there's, a, there's a, a, a gate in the wall at Jerusalem. And said when the caravan of camels come, and they have this burden on their back, said they can't get through the, the, the door, the opening, the gate. They have to take the burden off and take the camel through, then take the burden through and put it back on the camel. And I always wondered about that until I found out it wasn't so. And I'll tell you why it didn't so. It didn't so, number one, because that would, that would mean that you're saved by works. And the Word of God doesn't teach that. You know what I believe it means? I believe it means exactly what it says. Because the disciples marveled. Why would they marvel? They said, they said, who then can be saved? They want to marvel about that. They said, well, you know, I mean, the camel goes through and stuff goes through. Nothing, nothing too marvelous about that. They said, who can be? And the Lord says, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Just as it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, it is impossible for a man to go to heaven that trusts in his riches instead of Christ. And I believe that's what he's taught there. Now the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.10 that money is the root of all evil. Is that what it says? Some of you know the Bible. Know that, don't you? That money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not money, it's the love of it. 
person may have a great deal of money and not love it. Another person may not have a whole lot and love it. And it may keep them. When money comes between us and God, then it becomes a sin. And when we love that thing and it drives our life, that's what we think about. We're consumed by it. And, and uh, we forget God and all we have time is making money, then there's a problem. You know, Brother David in Sunday school was talking this morning, really, uh, something, and I jotted it down, something to really think about. And he said, whatever you think about becomes an idol. And I thought, that's true. And you evaluate your own life and you think of, you know, what do I think about uh, during the day? What consumes my thoughts? If I'm sitting around just thinking, where do my thoughts go to? If you had a, uh, maybe this afternoon you had some free time. Some of you may have taken out. And, uh, but uh, what, what do you think about? What, where do your thoughts naturally go? If they go to money, that's your God. You know, if they go to family, that's your God. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about family, but I'm saying if that consumes us, if it goes to the Lord, that's your God. And that's where it ought to be. That's something to consider, isn't it? That's an awesome thought. Now the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy, I want to read two or three verses there, and verse number 6, and verse 17 Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay a hold on eternal life. Be willing to share what God's done, blessed us with with others and invest in eternal things. You know, there are rich people in the Bible. Someone, someone pointed out the fact that in Luke 16, there's two rich men. Did you know that? Yeah. One's in hell and one's in paradise. You realize Abraham was a rich man? And yet he went to, well paradise or heaven, heaven that was located in the heart of the earth that time, the rich man died and went to hell. Did the rich man go to hell because he was rich? Why didn't Abraham go? He was rich. Of course, a man that's saved has a different attitude toward riches. Who was it? Uh, Laterno, was that his name? Uh, that uh, he, he put God to the test. He said, I'm going to give 10% of everything that comes into my possession. God began to bless him. He began to prosper. He said, I'm going to give 20%. And he just got more prosperous. And uh, finally, it's my understanding, he gave 90% and kept 10%. Well, to me, that was a proper use of the blessings of God in his life. He was willing to communicate and willing to distribute, willing to invest the excess in the cause of Christ. But it's foolish to believe in money instead of the Lord. And if money comes between us and our God, then it is foolish. And then one other thing I want to mention, it is foolish to blow everything and then depend on the Lord who may have already provided. 
I know people that they may get paid uh, once a week or once every two weeks or once a month or whatever, and they're like a kid in a candy store. They don't think about the house payment. They don't think about the car payment. They don't think about this payment, that payment. Boy, I've got all this money. And they just, they just go to town and have a big time. And then when the payments come, they don't have the money. Is that wise? <laughs> I don't think that's wise. I think that's foolish. Uh, I remember hearing a little story, and I, I think it illustrates what I'm trying to say here. Uh, who's this? Uh, Jerry, Jerry uh, what's his name? Clyre, I think. He may have told this or someone else, but, but he told about this fellow that this flood, he, this flood came in this area, and uh, this fellow, uh, you know, the flood was up, up on the house, and and they came by with a boat or getting up close to the house, came by with a boat and, and says, the, the waters are rising, get on the boat. He said, no. He said, God's going to take care of me. And the waters just kept, uh, kept rising and kept rising. And they came again the second time and says, you better get out of here. Said, the waters are going to get deeper. And says, uh, you need to get on the boat. He said, no, I'm a Christian. God's going to take care of me. And finally, he's up on the top of the roof. And they send a helicopter and drop the rope down and say, get on the helicopter. He said, oh, God's going to take care of me. And, of course, uh, the story goes, the waters kept rising and he drowned. And he got up to heaven. And he said, Lord, you promised to take care of me. And said, I can't understand why you didn't take care of me. He said, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> And sometimes, you know, we don't use what God sends their way in the right way, do we? Listen to what Proverbs 21.20 says. There is treasure to be desired in oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spinneth it up. A foolish man blows everything and then says, God's going to take care of me. Well, not if God's already provided you know, if I, don't use, if I don't use what God has already sent my way wisely, do I have the promise of God to take care of me in the future? There is treasure to be desired in all and the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Proverbs 29, 3, Whoso loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots Spendeth his substance, and of course a clear illustration of that is in Luke 15 about the prodigal son, and how the prodigal son, uh, you know, wanted his father's inheritance. I want it now. I want to spend it now. I want to spend it all. And the father, I don't know where he was wise or not, I, I'm not sure about that, but anyway, he gave it to the son. And it was the younger son. And doesn't tell how old he was, but evidently he wasn't old enough to make the, the right, wise decisions. And uh, I remember how I was when I was younger. <laughs> and uh, I hope I've learned a little wisdom since then. But, uh, you know, the Bible said he went into the far country. And verse 14 says, when he had spent all, he spent it all. He began to be in want. And uh, uh, he went to the hog pen and would have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. 
And one day he came to himself and went back home to the Father. And thank God he found a loving, gracious Father there. You know, isn't it wonderful that God, in spite of our foolish decisions, a lot of times he comes to our rescue. And the Lord, the Lord lifts us out and helps us through it. But, uh, you know, he had to come to the bottom, of, uh, the bottom, didn't he? And sometimes people have to do that. And, uh, you know, I think, I think many times we might interfere with, with, with what God's trying to do. We need to have a compassionate heart, but at the same time we, ne- we, we need to let God accomplish what he's trying to accomplish in the lives sometimes of unbelievers. And, and let God work and, and maybe sometime bring them to the bottom of the, uh, or bring them to the hog pen, so to speak, so that they may turn to the Lord. Uh, so... We have that illustration. Now the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 6, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. He talks about the responsibility of children and nephews in requiring their parents, and, and uh, that's another message uh, that I want to deal with sometime in the future. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly we have a responsibility. Now, uh, we have, of course, in Proverbs 6, the example of the ain't and all that. Now, I want to say this, uh, that, uh, you know, the practice of, of churches and, uh, has been to borrow money, and uh, we went through that as a church, and, and uh, that's pretty common in, in, uh, in uh, church circles. Uh, when I first came to this church, uh, of course, this church was built by the men of the church. Uh, most of the work was done and, and saved uh, thousands and thousands of dollars by doing that. But uh, uh, the initial building here was, uh, uh, was built and, and where you're sitting, uh, there was money borrowed. $25,000 was borrowed from the bank. Uh, there have been about $25,000 of bonds that have been sold to buy the property. So there was about $50,000 of barred money and quite a, you know, there was money raised. And I'd hate to try to build anything with $25,000 now, wouldn't you? Uh, but uh, that's been, uh, what, uh, 20 years ago, 21 years ago or so. And, uh, but since that time, after, you know, and I think of all the, tens of thousands, the millions and millions and billions, I guess, of dollars that have been spent on interest that could have been spent to send missionaries to the, around the world to get the gospel out. And I've often wondered about, have we really made the right kind of investment? Have we really used the Lord's money in the right way? And I'm not trying to judge or judge any other preacher or any other church because, you know, we, we had those days and there may come a time somewhere in the future that we may be forced into that situation again. But after the initial building, the back here where you see the baptistry, the wings and all, the first floor was built and paid for as when it was built. And the second floor was built and paid for when it was built. And, of course, built by uh, labor, free labor, and that, that makes a whole lot of difference. But to me, that has been a wiser use of the Lord's money. Now, should we have collected money for that project and spent it on something else and then went out and, and borrowed money 
and paid the interest, would that have been a wise use of the Lord's money? I don't think so. So, I believe it is foolish to use what God sends our way unwisely and then trust the Lord for the future. We're not to trust in uncertain riches. We're not to love money. We're not to put our faith in that. And we're to try to use what God sends our way individually or as a church in a way that would honor God and please God. Uh, but we also should make sure we have the leadership of the Lord any time we do these things. Let's bow our heads, please.